Welcome to Beholder to No One, a Dungeons and Dragons podcast. I'm your host, Nikki, aka the Dragon Queen, and with me today is my guest, Justin. Howdy, y'all. Today we're going to talk about Dungeons and Dragons 101. There's a lot to talk about, so we're going to try to get as much in as possible within an hour, but this might be a multi-part series. <laughs> um, so a little bit about myself. Um, I've been playing D&D since 2003. I started with 3.5, now do 5th edition. I've also played a ton of other games, but we're here to just focus on Dungeons and Dragons. Uh, Justin, what about yourself? Oh, boy. Um, I started off watching my brother play second edition. I got started in 3.5 back in, oh, my dear lordy, 2001, I want to say. I don't think it came out until 2003. Yeah, I think that was still second edition at that point. Yeah. Um, and I started DMing back in 2008, and I've been DMing 11 years now. I started DMing maybe about five or six years ago, and have kind of gone a little more out of my comfort zone originally lately, where I'm starting to finally build my own world, and we'll, that's a whole topic of its own. Oh, yes, ma'am. So I did ask a friend who I'm going to be teaching her and her kids later um, how to play D&D a couple of questions that she had, having absolutely zero knowledge of how it works, what it is, or anything about that. So I do have a couple of questions. We can go on some tangents and a couple of them. But the first question is how to even start? What do you need at a minimum? (laughs) That's the fun part. So... If you're starting from, you know, your basic level one, you don't need that many dice, even though everybody eventually builds a, a dice obsession. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. I only have like eight sets. That's not a problem, right? Um, I've got 25 of each dice. <laughs> See, not a problem. I'm fine. I need at least... I need at least a dozen more before I have a problem. Yeah, well, and when you start doing higher level characters and start rolling higher creatures, you really need those dice, especially once you get Fireball. Fireball's a glorious spell that uses a lot of dice. But yeah, you need your base dice, but in the end, honestly, if you've got all the papers and pencils and stuff, you need is your own imagination and your own desire so what do you want to play do you want to play an elf ranger who's going to resemble legolas or are you going to live in fighter like gimli or bruin or Battlehammer? for and those of you who like salvatore right you need um access to the books you can either have the books you can find them online uh, for free, you can find resources online that have everything for you as well. Um, if you don't have access to dice, there are a set of dice that you can buy. They're about $10 for the cheaper options. Or you could just use a dice roller online. I think I got my dice on Amazon. 16 sets for like 20 bucks. There you go. Um Eventually, people usually get into some of the expensive dice, like my pair of obsidian dice that I don't touch. (laughs) I just purchased this set of uh, very shiny, metallic, glittery dice that were like $25 on clearance, and I don't have them yet, but I am so excited. I I would be dead excited and like checking the mailbox every day. Um, One other resource, though, is... Um, D&D Beyond allows you if to books and create your character or your campaign from there. D&D Beyond is a great resource, actually. Um, obviously not sponsored, but uh, 
they offer you access to all of the books and if you need to buy them and want to use that to make your characters then you don't have to purchase the entire book you just have to purchase the one class or anything that you're doing like my uh i used it to create a yanti warlock who worships or whose patron is dendar an npc um <clears throat> another thing the, the another question they had said do you need the book well you don't really need the book the only book that absolutely is necessary quote unquote but not even a hundred percent because you can find it online is the player's handbook if you are a player if you are running the game there are still great resources online and we can have an entire different session episode on on dming or being a dungeon master um, then there's more books out there and there are I think a dozen books now out for just character creation overall. There's, there's a lot. I mean, some of the books in general as well cover multiple, like uh, Xanathar's Guide to Everything covers player stuff, more monsters, more DM tools, all in one beautiful book. Also more spells, like Toll the Dead. I love Toll of the Dead. <laughs> um, YouTube is also another great resource. Um, there are several channels. Uh, free shout out to like AJ Pickett. He goes over uh, a lot of Dungeons and Dragons lore and the creatures. And he all kinds of magazines from even back in the day so he can put together even how like blue dragon society works example there's a couple of really good guys out there online um there's i can't remember the name of them if i remember the name later there's one dm i like to watch that he has a lot of good advice for how to build your world and how to build your character, how to build your background and stuff like that. Yeah, there, YouTube can be, if you put in your searches, YouTube is a great resource to where you can really absorb a lot of really good information. So then the next question that my friend had were um, about the dice, like how many do you need and all that stuff. Well, you, you, there are a set that you can get. Um, it's 11 dice is like the bigger one, and I think seven is the minimum. But um, you can use a dice roller. There's the D4, a D6, a D8, 10, 12, and 20, and then a percentile d10 and with those you can roll everything you need you just might have to re-roll the same dice multiple times but you can survive with one of each of those yeah it, it it'll slow you down a little bit but it's not a bad thing everybody has to start from somewhere exactly and i mean honestly you can use dice rollers online if you need more um, or don't want to do the math or whatever you just have to Google dice roller and you'll find it. Other supplies that are helpful is to have a calculator. So if you get into combat, you can use a calculator to keep track of your um your hit points or if you use arrows, keep track of those. Unless you're um, forcing your child to learn math, then don't use the calculator. True. This is very true. <laughs> um, once you get more advanced, it's not required, but it's helpful to have if you make the combat not last as long. Because I know some combat, once you get level 5 plus, can just go on and on on especially when you're facing like mobs of other creatures mm -hmm. 
level five, I still like to throw a cockatrice or two or five here and there. Um, Especially when they're like um, when players are good. Um, I just had a brain fart. I think that means I need more DM juice. <laughs> uh, the next question is a very long one, but what are the classes and races? Now, the combination of classes and races is a lot. You can do a lot. You can. On my biggest thing is go with what feels right to you. Try not to look at the numbers. Now, you can hear other people who tell you, if you want to be a wizard, you're going to want to go with this class or this race because they give you more intelligence. Don't worry about that. Pick what sounds right to you. Do you want to be a halfling? Do you want to be a dwarf with a beard? Do you want to be a cat person known as a tabaxi? Like, pick what you think is the most interesting to you and then go from there. Worry about there's... the min-maxing on another day. Yeah, in the end, the best thing about D&D is it is a story that is being told. And guess what? You're the main character. So what do you want to be as the main character of this fantastic story? Well, and honesters well. with the quirks are the best. Or one of the main characters, because you and your party are the main characters. Yeah. But Um. for races, you have, just from the player's handbook, not even getting into the other books that are out there, you can be a tiefling, which is a half-demon, half-human. You could be a human. You could be an elf, a dwarf, a half-elf, which is half-human, half-elf, a half-orc, a gnome, halfling dragonborn so there's already a handful of options once you get into other books you have an asmr asmr however you say it which is a half angel um you have the elder and elves which are like seasonal you have shifters which are like werewolves so there's so many options to go from and i mean i love how fifth edition has just really brought out the uh what I refer to as the animal folk, which are the tabaxi, which are cat people, uh, turtles, turtle people, or oh, I love even dawns are my favorite. It, it really makes a statement when a uh, you know a seven to eight foot tall elephant person walks in the room. Yes, Lexodons are an interesting race, to say the least. Oh yeah, and the the ability to have a third digit that can make an an arm strike as a monk is fun. That is news to me. Um, now, with those are the races, and then the next step would be your class. There's three main categories really for classes. There is the melee class there is your magic or there's ranged like that's how i usually tell people to figure out which of those three do you want to be and then go from there if you want to do melee you could be a fighter you could be a barbarian you could be a monk you could be um a paladin if you want to be magic you could go wizard or sorceress or warlock or bard and if you want to be a ranger uh, or a rogue, you can, for ranged inf- stuff, those are your other options. Uh, there's also cleric, which is also magic. Um, and each one has their own unique story and twist on their character and class. Yep. And your story and what you do to create this character really is what gives you that awesome power to your character your character may not be the strongest fighter but he may be able to bluff his way out of everything um the class you choose is basically how you want to see yourself in this world in a way your alter ego yeah 
That's what I like to DM. I like to say I do just enough characters that I don't have to be myself. <laughs> um, so one question she did have was, can you make your own? You can ultimately make your own race or class, but wait for that until you understand the story and the gameplay and the rules a little bit better. Homebrew is a great thing, and we will have episodes in the future on homebrew. But it takes a special eye and knowledge to understand how to properly balance things so you don't break it and make it too difficult or too broken or too much or too weak. It takes... Too OP. Yeah, or OP meaning overpowered for those who don't know. Um, So I would save making your own you can flavor it however you want and not change anything like you can say an elf is and add certain things for your world that are only pertain to elves as long as you don't add or tweak anything to the character more than flavor that's up to you and your on your dungeon master um but avoid making your own until you understand the world a little bit better yeah um and there are other things that you can do like part of your character for example is your animal handling um there's a show that i watch consistently every wednesday where one of the main characters is a tabaxi with a pet mouse and i love it i absolutely love that concept that's adorable Um, you can talk to your dm about though um Every DM is different, and they have different play styles, but we can definitely get into that in a different one, because that by itself is a series. <laughs> There's just one episode that's going to be labeled DM Faz Final Say. <laughs> <laughs> right. So DM ultimately is the one walking you through this world. Exactly. Um, so the next question are that those were the main questions that my friend had but building a character once you know what class and what race you want the book will guide you through that it'll guide you through what to do it is a little confusing at first but it's all there um the one thing that's necessary though is to roll your stats or your attributes now this can be done multiple ways Uh, You can do point by, you can do the standard array that they provide you, or you can let the dice take fate, decide your fate, and roll four six-sided die and remove the lowest one and add that up. Personally, that's my favorite option. It adds the most chaos to the realm. Honestly, it also makes some of the best characters. Like... Yeah, I've got I've had characters that have been rolled, you know, really awesome stats, all fifteen plus. But characters are the ones that take negatives on their rolls, and they make much more sense. Like your stat wisdom is basically your common sense, you know. Intelligence says this pan is hot, but wisdom says I should not touch this. Warlock people, most warlocks wouldn't, or most people who would take a warlock pact don't always have the greatest common sense, especially if you go with some of the uh, more evil, like the the uh, great old ones. Your common sense would tell you this is a bad idea. I don't know what you're talking about. It was a great idea. <laughs> depending on your character yes but some of those lower stats just really make for better characters like uh if you have a lower and just because low doesn't mean you're a failure at it i mean if you're a if you're a character with a low dex that can just be a part of who your character is like me as a person, I would have a low dex just because I'm clumsy. Set is set up for anti-clumsy people, or is set up as anti-clumsy because I'm always bumping into something. So there are six attributes 
their strength, dexterity, constitution, intelligence, wisdom, and charisma. Um, strength for, just so if people don't know, strength is how hard can you punch something? How much can you lift something? How heavy can you lift an object? Or how heavy of an object can you lift? Um, how much can you carry? Things like that. Dexterity is how nimble are you? How fast are you at doing things? Um, how easy are you able to aim something? Constitution, I would avoid going into the negatives with constitution too far because constitution determines how long can you stay up? How, how sturdy is your system against poisons and how much hit points do you have? which are how much life do you have. Intelligence and wisdom we just explained, and charisma is how good are you at talking at peop to people and convincing them to do what you want them to do. much of a people person are you? Because you can be... A lot of people like to mistake charisma for how hot is this person, how gorgeous, handsome, whatnot, when in reality it's are you a people person or not? So if you want to play a hermit character, lower charisma is definitely a hermit. Where a barbarians very often take negatives in their charisma and intelligence because they don't need it necessarily. Um, but you can have a smart barbarian. Why not? Oh, yeah. Uh, the next thing is backgrounds. Uh, your background can be anything. It's more for story and a couple extra skills, but you can pick something that fits your character. So if you decide to go a wizard, you could pick, um, you could pick something that's more knowledge-based, like a librarian if you went homebrew, or um, if you went cleric or paladin, you could go acolyte because you were in a temple. And it's just things that further along your character and offer you some personality traits that is something that's in 5th edition that I don't believe was in 3.5 I haven't played in forever it didn't do anything to your skills your background was more character um, what I like about 5th edition is it really walks you through and if you want to play but you don't know what you want to do with this character there's a section in the player's handbook that you can just literally roll your backstory um, and roll what you or and roll your uh, background yeah and you can um once you have your background, you can use that information to get your personality, your ideal, your bond, and your flaw. And you can feel free to make those up. Um, or you can roll for it if you like the dice decisions. Or you can pick one that fits you. Things like, are you, your flaw could be, I'm very greedy. That might come into play for your DM in a game because you're giving gold and you suddenly have to give it up. And your character is not going to want to give that up. So these things cause unknowns into the story and will help you decide as your character how would they react to the situation that's provided to them. And it's all about story. I mean, this is... If you love telling stories, but you're a horrible writer... A DM. <laughs> Uh, the next question is, what are skills? So skills are, there's a long list of skills that are available to you to use, and each one has their own use. So for example, if you, your intelligence-based skills can be arcana or history, religion, nature, and each of those is something different. So arcana would be magic-based. As you're looking through a book, do you understand what those runes mean? Do you understand what the spell does? Do you, un do you know that these things are magical? Um, history is more, what does your character know about the world around them and the history from books and knowledge that they've gathered or from stories they've heard about the world around them? 
religion is more if it's based off of gods or cults and stuff like that and nature is kind of self-explanatory but is something poisonous is something edible is um what animals are supposed to be here versus what is here those are all things that you can roll for that i always thought nature since it's the intelligence check what type of berry is this survival is is this poisonous that's fair if Um, i eat it i'm gonna puke my guts out that is very fair um survival is another one that could be used for that yes uh i would usually go either or i would say do a nature or survival check whichever you prefer because you can get hints of it um if you know what it's called then you probably know also that it's bad for you with a nature check um but that kind of goes with perception versus investigation a lot of dms use perception for everything where perception is supposed to be more for do you notice it without actually trying to look for it when you look across the sea of people do you notice the person you're looking for where investigation is more up close and personal you're digging through something you're trying to find something right in front of your face um if you break or if you break into this house to find the uh beautiful gem for the thieves guild do you perceive traps versus do you find the gem? Exactly. Um, which, speaking of traps, goes into saves versus checks. So a sa- if you find a trap, or if you're looking for traps and you fail that roll, roll a natural one, which is a auto fail for most things, you don't find the trap and then suddenly when it goes off you have to make yourself a save to see if you can get out of that attack range and minimize the damage so when would you make a check versus when would you make a save a check is more so i want to look for the trap okay there that's going to be your investigation check. Or, I want to chug this entire beer, but I've never had alcohol before. Alright, roll a constitution check. Drunk right away. Or if you're a... If you have an inner dwarf in you. And uh, then- save would definitely be... Um, that was poison oh, in no, that beer. There was poison in this beer. Roll a constitution save to see if you fall unconscious or, you know, you start losing hit points. Or depending on the poison, if it's like a pseudo-dragon poison, oh no, are you going to start going to sleep? (laughs) It's one of my favorite poisons. In a save, there there are saves for everything. Um, a strength save could also be you're trying to... Or a dex save could be you're trying to dodge out of the way of a boulder. But a dex check would be I'm trying to move out of the way of the boulder. Yeah. Or I want to jump on top of this boulder and run it down the hill. That's going to be a high DC there. Oh yeah, <laughs> but I've had them do it. And the net twenties that are just like, this is so cool, and you net twentyed it. Let's roll with it. A DC, by the way, is a difficulty check. It's how hard is it to actually succeed. That's what you're aiming for. So if it's something really, really hard, it might be like a DC of twenty or twenty-five, where you roll a, a one. You roll a 20-sided dice and add your ability to it so if you're trying to stealth behind the guard and they're on alert because there's dozens of them and you roll a natural 20 on your dice they don't see you at all unless they rolled a natural 20 as well true i've had i've had a few situations where it's been like oh this is gonna be great 
he's actually going to get away with this lockbox, and then, you know, you roll your guard's perception check, and it's like, oh. Uh-oh. And every DM has that, oh, that didn't go as I'd hoped face. Yep. As I call it. Yep. <laughs> Because sometimes the dice gods really do say different. I mean, as a D, there was a lot of it in 3.5 where it seemed to be players versus DM. But in 5th edition, it really is a lot more DM walking the characters through the story. But you still have to go through the dice. The, the, the dice have the ultimate say. And that's one thing I would like to emphasize on. You are not, as a player, are not against your D your DM or your dungeon master. You're working together in the story. Now, there are going to be things that the DM puts against you that are difficult um, and very challenging, but that's to make the story even better. It's so much more interesting to say that we defeated something super difficult than to just say that was really simple and keep in mind you don't have to murder everything murder hobos out there it's okay to talk your way out of stuff there's a reason there's charismatic classes yes it is um i actually just found a story the other night that is a perfect example of this it was a bard got brought in front of a dragon by six cultists and everybody's thinking oh no, this bard's going to die. The cultists drop him in front of the dragon and say, great dragon, we've brought you this human sacrifice and a bag of gold. Um, or, and this bag of gold as tribute to your greatness. And the dragon looks down at the bard and says, any last words? And the bard's like, great dragon, I have tricked these cultists into bringing themselves to you as human sacrifice and this bag of gold as tribute <laughs> and they roll a persuasion check he rolled a 17 and he's like okay this is cool enough let's okay and so the dragon just says duck and the character player says i duck and the dm's like okay this green dragon uses his acid breath to emulate and dissolve these cultists into a puddle of goo and takes the gold and flies off and everybody's like oh my goodness I thought you were gonna die Bard's like so did I yep the the only request is try not don't do, go don't go seducing the dragon because that's not gonna end well no it's not it's not the, gonna work that there's a um there's a common DM thing that dragons, especially good dragons, like to polymorph. I mean, steel dragons almost never live in their dragon form. They're basically always polymorphed. And, you know, the player will want to seduce the dragon, and if he actually succeeds on his check, it's like, okay, well... This dragon morph has polymorphed into an exact copy of you and brings you into the bedroom for a session. Which is kind of the DM way of saying you can go do naughty things to yourself. Mm-hmm. That one made me crack up when I saw it online. Um, so, the next question is, what can you actually do in a turn? So each, there are things called rounds where each person gets a turn. Um, and you determine that based off your initiative. If you have a higher dexterity, you go faster than the other, so you would go sooner more than likely. But the dice ultimately determine this. And then the monsters or bad guys also get to go. Initiative is essentially how quickly you react to the situation to determine where you are in the turn. So, you know, if somebody busts down the door, everybody's going to react differently in that situation, and that's essentially all initiative is. Exactly. So, 
when it's your turn on initiative, you can do three things. You have your action, you have your movement, and you have your bonus action. There are hundreds of things between the classes that can be done with each of those, but those are the three steps each turn. Um, for example, an action could be, if you're a monk, could be, I'm going to run up and punch them in the face twice. And then your bonus action is, I'm going to punch them a third time. And then your movement is running up to them to punch them in the face. Monks like to punch things. Oh, yeah. Um, the biggest thing to remember to, that I like to let people in my gaming sessions know right off the bat so that they don't extend their turn too far an entire round of combat which is everybody taking their turn is six seconds yes you can't have huge conversation but to continue with your monk thing you can you know you can use your movement i run up to this monster Okay, uh, your action. I punch this monster twice in the face. Okay, ping, ping. It didn't do anything. This action would be yelling at everybody. This, my punches aren't doing anything. Nice or, little scared voice. Some DMs will allow that as a free action to say something while you're doing your bonus action as well. If you're holding a full-blown conversation, then they might warn you, hey, this is going to take you your full six seconds. You can't do anything else. But most people will do free action to speak. A quick One big advice I can give is, depending on your character, do not be afraid to take a round to run a check. So, for example, um, if you're a ranger and you're fighting some type of monstrosity, we'll just go with an owl bear. Do not be afraid to take your six seconds to do a quick. Okay, I'm gonna. I want to roll an investigation check. I want to see if this owlbear is injured in any way or if he has a weakness that I can see or as a wizard character running some type of arcana check to see if you can notice any type of weakness a lot of DMs will reward that with okay this is a magman a little fire creature so Cold will roll your roll an investigation or arcana check. Okay, you you got the DC. Um, yeah, this guy, he's built a fire. I'm pretty sure you know casting frostbite would hurt it hurt a little bit a more. <laughs> hurt it just yeah, it a can. little bit more. Um, vulnerabilities versus uh, resistances or immunities are also things that the DM has to know. Um. But, like, a tiefling is resistant to fire damage, so if a tiefling gets hit by fire, they take half damage. And these are things that, like Justin was mentioning, that if you make a roll for it, you might be able to tell if it's within reason. Um, a, fi a, a magma method, you'll be able to tell because they're literally magma, but a tiefling, you might not know that if you've never met a tiefling before until you see hey, that fire damage didn't seem to hurt it as much as we thought it did. What What's going on? Yep. Um, Do not be afraid to take those. Yes, those are very helpful. And there are also... One of my biggest things when you're, when you're doing your turn, uh, your, your round, or the round overall... Use the time your other players are going to figure out what you're going to do when it is your turn. You might have to tweak it a little depending on what other people decide to do. You can't make them change their mind. If a player runs into battle and you were like, I was about to cast fireball on that thing. Why would you run into battle 
it's too late. They ran into battle. That's what they did. You have to improvise at that point. Um, Instead my... of casting that fireball directly on the creature, now you have to tweak it. Well, I'm going to cast it over here so that the fireball still hits it, but I don't hit my buddy that's standing, you know, in the square ahead of it. Right, and that kind of leads in towards... Um not really metagaming it's it's a type of metagaming but just you can't tell other people what to do you can offer suggestions if they're new players and as a new player um your dm might tell you stuff for example if you say i'm going to run away from this guy they might tell you hey if you do that you'll get an attack of opportunity against you which means that the bad guy gets to get a chance to hit you this is a common courtesy that some some dungeon masters or players who've been playing will will remind newer players but if you tell somebody what to do on their turn then you're taking their turn away so you just you some dms also live and let they let people learn by doing oh well they'll learn the hard way that if you run away from bad guy they get an attack against you and they won't do that again it really is just dependent on your dm but most the first time or two will be like hey just so you remember that'll be an attack of opportunity but you know after two or three times most dms will just roll that attack of opportunity yeah and honestly don't be afraid to try things worst case scenario it fails and you've learned something new that your character didn't know. Keep in mind that just because you know it, it doesn't mean your character knows it. So if your character wouldn't know to not attack something with something because it's not going to work, then try it, then you find out, and it doesn't, you go from there. Um, Barbarians definitely learn the hard way. Hulk smash kind of thing. Well, like, barbarians, um, they get, a, some of them get, a, I think, is it all of them or some of them, but they get reckless attack, which is where you get advantage on your attack. So you roll twice and take the higher of the numbers on your attacks. But they also get advantage on you. So you can do that and say, I'm just going to go crazy and attack as much as possible. I don't care if I'm showing... Um, I'm weakening my defense by showing them my side or whatever, but you have a chance, a better chance of hurting the bad guy, but the bad guy has a better chance of hurting you, and you have to learn when and where to use it as you go. Um, Which barbarians are great at dealing a lot of damage. And taking a lot of damage. Oh, yeah. But they also get the resistances as well. Um to your rage you get the bludgeoning piercing and slashing resistance unless you go path of the totem and then you get everything but psychic yeah there, there nothing can stop psychic damage darn squid faces and by that and he means mind flares um so then the other thing like so an attack or an action could be for a fighter could be swinging your sword for a caster like a sorcerer or a wizard could be casting a spell so fireball or um, a cleric could cast healing word or that's a bonus action a cure wounds so the, each spell has a stat block of sorts that tells you this can be cast as an action this takes 10 minutes to cast this takes uh, a bonus action to cast so you have to keep those in mind while you're going but it will specifically tell you this is an action to cast most spells are actions there are a handful that are bonus action and then a couple that are like ritual spells that take 10 minutes plus to cast and sometimes you can even find a spell that normally wouldn't be ritual cast but as the way you learned it it would be a ritual cast for you like um 
meld into stone normally I don't think is a ritual cast. I have not used that. It's a fun spell um, that I had that learned it as a ritual cast and he used it to pick on the dwarf in the party. It's technically a action usually and it can be done as a ritual, yes. Okay. But yeah, so just because he learned it by recording it into his spell tome it, it became a ritual cast. But again, that's a DM discretion. Yeah, um... Learn, meld into stone. I mean, another thing that's DM discretion really is just how you... The rules of the game, there are basic rules of each game, and your dungeon master will explain those to you. Uh, some DMs have specific rules that only they have. For example, um, in my games, I personally like the fact that ones are always auto-fail, and twos are always successes. Or sorry, twenties are always successes. So natural 20 versus a nat one. Um, the the problem is technically in the book, that doesn't pertain to skills. Usually it's attacks and, and saves and stuff like that. I like to do it for everything because it adds a sense of fun. Now, if it's going to be like, if you roll a one, you're dead, then I twe tweak it a little bit because that's not fair if it's against the rules. But yeah. if it's just for flavor, it adds a sense of fun. I like to... What I bless you. What I like to have is what I call the rule of possibility. So if you got a fifty foot wall and somebody wants to, you know, jump or try to run up this wall to it, that I don't care what kind of creature you are, unless you got wings. I mean, a monk that's could do not it. possible. Oh, monks specifically have a feat for it, but if you're a uh, say, a fighter in full plate armor and you want to Naruto this thing? Yeah. That's a hard no. <laughs> yeah, you know, a nat 20, which is when you roll a 20 on your 20-sided die, and it lands on a 20. Um, for me, that would be a, well, you run up this wall, but you are a fighter in full plate mail. You don't make it. However, you you know, you, you manage to land on your feet and roll so you don't take any damage falling. I will only I would only do damage as a DM when somebody's being particularly idiotic and aren't listening. For example, uh, if they see a frog and are like, I'm gonna lick the frog. <laughs> Poison like, toad. Why? Why? Why would you lick the frog? I don't know. I want to lick the frog. Okay, we'll make a constitution save. Well, why am I making a constitution save? Because you licked the frog. What do you think was gonna happen? <laughs> it's a bright red and yellow, or a bless you, a bright black and yellow frog, and you just licked it. Exactly. And you just tried not to die from the neurotoxin. Um. Other times, like there have been times where I've. If they make a if they make a really good decision, I'll give them a chance. There's always a chance. But if they make a really bad decision, sometimes like even when people are joking, if they're not paying attention and they're like, I shoot fireball into the into the darkness, it's like, okay, roll your attack. And they're like, I was kidding. Nope, roll your attack. Up oh, now the village is under fire and being destroyed. What do you do? <laughs> like it depends on your players. Yeah, what I really like about 5th edition is it has more room for the rule of cool. For it, example, yes. Dwarven Knight of the Chalice, um, who back in 3.5 was basically a holy demon hunter. And we had a Vrock fighting us, and me being a dwarf at the time that, you know, weighed 400 plus pounds in his adamantine armor, 
just could not reach this rock and it was driving them nuts. So the barbarian, which is a, a type of giant folk, basically, that was playable in a 3.5. I don't remember if they have them in 5th edition. I think they do in Xanathar's. Giants, you mean? Uh, Goliaths. Goliaths are in 5th edition, yeah, they're in the Volos guide. Oh, Volos, okay. But yeah, so the Goliath Barbarian was just like, okay. And so he grabs him and tosses him. And in 3.5, you gotta do a lot of checks just to make that succeed. But in 5th edition, you can make it as simple as, okay, you know what? Let's roll a strength check to see if, you know, he manages to pick up this dwarf and hammer throw him into the rock. Do a quick dex check, a quick grapple check to see if you can keep this rock on the bottom and reduce your falling damage. Right, exactly. There's so many things that can be done in D&D that are just you would have never even thought of as the DM. Um, perfect example, uh, in my Monday games, we had a battle, and they're in an arena, and they're in a gladiatorial battle to the death. They succeeded, um, and they had a chance at this point to escape, or, um, or they could go back to their cages and try to escape at a later time. I assumed they would either try to escape and potentially die because it would be very challenging or they would just wait and then try again when it was quieter there weren't as many spectators. Instead somebody cast fog. One person uh, disguised self into a guard and another person turned into a cat and ran away stealthily enough that nobody saw. And when they got captured by all the guards, the one guard was not, was still was a player, and he was able to get the keys and get his party out. And then the other um, player was able to get a wagon to them to be able to help from the outside, all without talking to each other. And I was like, no, I wasn't expecting that in the slightest. I was like, oh, well, that's one way to go about it. And the rule of cool is really the one of those things. This is so cool. We have to try to make this succeed. I mean, you know, rather than you, you're stuck with with a white dragon between you and the exit. The player character is like, well, can I make a? Can I make a quick perception check to see if I notice any stalagmites above this dragon? And okay. Yeah, yeah, there's stalagmites all over this cave. Okay, cool. I want to try to cast um X spell to break this or the barbarian can, you know, throw his hammer and try to see if he can break this stalagmite to impale this white dragon. And it's like, you know what? That is so cool and out of the box. Let's roll this and try to make it succeed. I saw one online that was really funny. Um, it was... I think it was like... I forget the spell, but it was a spell that just makes it warmer. And it's like five degrees for every success. I think it's uh, thaumaturgy. It's just a cantrip. And it says any area in a five-foot square can be five degrees warmer for every success. I succeeded six times over the DC. That's 30 degrees warmer. I want to increase the temperature of his body. And honestly, sometimes you just got to reward that type of thinking. Oh, yeah. Um... My buddy was just telling me about his session. So there's the spell, uh, what is it? Uh, create Warder. Mm-hmm. Which most people use just to consistently have water rations. Well, this guy was just like, 
I want to cast create water in his lungs. Wait. You want to cast create water in this bad guy's lungs? Yes. Gallons? The full five gallons. That is an out-of-the-box and really cool way to eliminate a bad guy that is really kicking y'all's butts. It really will cut the fight short, but it's so cool and out of the box. I mean, technically, it says, well, it probably, I would say it wouldn't work. I let it work once for fun, but it does say within range in an open container. And a stomach is not, or lungs are technically not an open container. <laughs> technically, I mean, you could argue it. Yeah. And don't be afraid to be creative. Though there is one part of character creation we completely forgot. Mm, what's that? Your alignment as a character. So there are yes. uh, three, six, nine different alignments that go, that bounce between good and Evil, neutrality, neutrality, and order. And all of those are very, very different. And you have to play them differently. And you also have to use some of your logic. There's a lot of, as you call them, the murder hobos that like to play chaotic evil and, you know, I'm just going to kill this random person. But you have to remember that, for example, drows even have laws that you can't just go randomly murdering somebody. Yeah, a, you, a lawful good character um, is going to always try to go for what is lawful, what is what is right. Um, they're going to be the ones that, even though they don't necessarily like it or get their hands are tied, they're not going to want to kill someone. They're going to want to try to talk it out. They're going to want to try to convince them to turn a leaf and and no matter what the situation is where like a lawful evil character which is um the first cusp of the evil route they might do evil things but they have a code of their own it might not be the lawful co they might not follow the law per se even though they're lawful they have a code of a code that they follow, yeah. Think of like vampires. A, yeah. Like a, a vampire in a... They have a, a code that they follow that they can't walk into a house without being invited. Like the stereotypical vampire. Like that's the code that they stick to. They're evil and they will kill somebody, but they won't walk into your house without permission. Or my favorite one is... Or if my favorite example is an assassin to kill pregnant women and children. Exactly. That is their personal code. And also remember certain things like, for example, a lawful good paladin. If you've got, for example, you've come into the white dragon's lair and the white dragon has been asleep for so long that he's encased in ice, Paladin is not going to try to be like, hey, dragon, it's time for honorable combat. No, they're going to go for the coup de gras. Unless gonna... that's their flaw. Yeah, true. But that's not true. based off their alignment. Well, yeah. So, on that note... That... Go ahead. On that note, it's almost been an hour, so we've discussed a lot about Dungeons and Dragons 101, and there is so much more to discuss, it's not even funny. <clears throat> we can go into detail about all the things that we've mentioned so far, and it could probably be 30 minutes on its own. Um, the biggest thing is have fun. Whatever you build, just have fun. Um, and if you have questions, don't hesitate to ask someone. You can message us. You can ask your friends. 
do whatever you need to do. You can find us on Twitter at Beholder to No One or on Facebook at Beholder to No One. And just have fun. Um, my name is Nikki, aka the Dragon Queen, your host, and thank you, Justin, so much for joining us today, or me today. Always glad to be here. Favorite topic. <laughs> and I hope everybody joins us in the future for more topics on D&D. Have a good one. Hi, everybody. <laughs>